0: Elegant, beautiful, palatial, and, of course, the effervescent Ultimate Sports Talk Radio Studios. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Welcome, after a week's hiatus, to the Ultimate Sports Talk show. Glad to have you along this evening. I hope you enjoyed your Thanksgiving last week as much as I did mine. I know hundreds of thousands of turkeys sacrificed their lives so that families could break bread together over the Thanksgiving holiday. And, of course, a lot of pigs did also, because we had ham with ours too. But tell you what, when the family gets together, a lot of things happen, and I had my eyes opened up to several different sports circumstances last week, and we're going to try to share some of them here this evening. It should be a very interesting show. Glad to have you along tonight for the next 60 minutes. We're going to be talking about... Ohio State skipping by Michigan by just one point, and what a close game that was. They've now won 24 games in a row, and this weekend it's the Spartans of Michigan State against the Buckeyes for the Big Ten title. Other conferences are holding their championship games this Saturday. Who's going to quarterback the Browns this weekend in New England? That's still a question that's up in the air. The Cavs have a winning streak going The good, the bad, and the ugly, of course, plus the NFL game tonight will put you to sleep rather than
1: keep you awake. But first up on the sports scene tonight... I know there's been a lot of concern about the length of time that uh, we've taken to complete our investigation, but I want to assure you that our timing uh, should not and has not been driven by any uh, Heisman demands or a football schedule, uh, as we do with every case that comes before us. Uh, We want to be confident in the decision that we make and make sure we make the right decision. I've been in law enforcement nearly 50 years, and uh, my prosecution experience has taught me that we need to handle each case equally and fairly, and it's a search for the truth. We did so in this case. Uh, Our city has two universities, major universities here, and we've dealt with athletes on prior occasions, and uh, made decisions at some time to prosecute them if the facts merited it. We've carefully examined all the evidence in this case and have concluded that no charges will be filed against uh, anyone in in this case. Uh, A public record of our investigation will be made available to anyone who wants it, and you'll be able to see the evidence that uh, should lead you to uh, us making the decision.
0: Well, with that announcement... By the district attorney down in Florida, Florida State quarterback Jameis Winston not only escaped a long court battle, a possible suspension by the Florida State University, and losing the Heisman Trophy, but now the Seminoles are all but assured a spot in the BCS championship game, and Winston is all but assured the Heisman Trophy. Now, I really don't want to get into the warrants of this case, why it took so long. I don't want to get into all that. Uh he's not going to be charged by Florida State Attorney Willie Meggs in the sexual assault case involving himself, Winston. Meggs announced that the decision not to charge Winston in the incident from december seventh, twenty twelve, almost to the day one year ago, in which a woman said that she was sexually assaulted by Winston. Now, this case was reignited in November after an 11-month delay, but after the investigation that Meg said there was not sufficient evidence to proceed with the case. Now, again, I don't want to get into this case, uh, the merits of it, what happened, who said what, who did what. There are just a couple of things that I want to point out. First of all, whenever there is a court case in Florida, there are certain things that just pop up that you just have to wonder about because of two names that constantly pop up when it comes to a Florida court case, George Zimmerman and Casey Anthony. Now, were the courts correct in what happened in those two cases? Probably not. Both were found not guilty. Again, I'm not trying to associate that with this. But when it comes to a situation where Florida gets involved in everything, you have to wonder. And then you've got the stuffy shirt Willie Meggs up there with his Florida State tie on. And you have to wonder where are his allegiances at when he was actually investigating this, especially after there were allegations that the police had already told this woman that she would have a tough time pressing charges against a high-profile Florida State athlete like Jameis Wilson, Winston. Now, Florida State is set to travel to Charlotte tonight for the ACC championship game against Duke. We're going to get into that game here in just a little bit. Winston is going to be with the team. For the game and any ensuing bowl game, which is probably going to be the national championship game. And again, I want to get into the BCS rankings in just a few minutes, also. Meggs also said during his press conference this afternoon that the case is closed. Period. That's it. Winston's t- attorney said that the sex was consensual. And after a DNA sample was taken from Winston in November matched the one taken from the accuser in the hours after the assault was reported, the police decided to reopen the case. The Tallahassee Police Department took the case from the Florida State Police immediately after the police report was filed and the family of the woman released a statement in November saying that the detective involved in the investigation told her that her life could be made miserable if she proceeded with the matter, and to think long and hard about pressing the case. Again, I heard this afternoon that after this decision was made, there were kids running around outside the the, uh, courthouse with their shirts off, with FSU across the front, ready for the game this weekend. That's just not the right place for this to happen. It's a court of law. It's a place of respect. The Department Also at the press conference today, released evidence showing a timeline of the actions in the case and said that the case was classified as open but inactive on February 11th and would be pursued further if the alleged victim decided to press charges, which she did. Now, according to some of the evidence out there, it is said that it appears that the sex was consensual but that she did not want it. I was always of the... Opinion and women have always said that if they say no, it's no. Now, nobody is denying the fact that she said no. Evidently, it's just a case of when. But this case has been brought to the forefront throughout the last month. And the one question that was raised to me over the Thanksgiving break, and I think it's a very interesting question. To go over, because the fact is is that when you look at the crap, and I, I, I can 't even think of a better word that urban Meyer has gone under over the last four or five months ever since Aaron Hernandez was arrested for the alleged murder and possible double murder uh, in New England. And everybody wants to blame Urban Meyer for the escalation of the violence that Aaron Hernandez allegedly has evolved into. But they say that Urban Meyer has fostered a culture of a lack of discipline, not only at Florida, but at Ohio State. But the question still remains... When you look at what Urban Meyer did earlier this year and with Carlos Hyde and Brandon Roby, when you look at those two athletes, neither one was indicted, especially Hyde. Hyde was on video as allegedly slapping a woman in a nightclub after she slapped him. Now, immediately, almost immediately, Urban Meyer suspended Hyde for three games. And you could argue that those three games that Hyde spent on suspension could have cost him the Heisman Trophy this year. Yes, maybe you could say that Jameis Winston is the runaway winner of the Heisman Trophy. That's a very possible debate that you could have. Quite frankly, I think Jordan Lynch of Northern Illinois should give Winston a run for his money as far as the Heisman is concerned. But nonetheless, I let me digress back into this. With Hyde, he suspended him for three games, and there was no indictment. There was an investigation, and Hyde was found to have not done anything improper. Roby, the same thing, and he was suspended for a game. But yet, Urban Meyer takes... All sorts of, as I said earlier, because of the lack of a better word, crap, for not being a disciplinarian enough on his ball club. But yet, here's Florida State. Jimbo Fisher. In his third or fourth year as head coach of the Seminoles. He brings in this freshman in Jameis Winston. And immediately, Winston has a legal problem. Now, Florida State's in the middle of a national championship run. They are also in the middle of trying to win the ACC, heading into the game against Duke that is going to be the ACC championship. But what do they do with Jameis Winston while this is all going on, while this investigation is happening? They let him play. They let the whole thing just ride out. Now, I'm not saying either is the correct way to go. I'm not saying that Florida State should have suspended Jameis Winston. I'm not saying that Urban Meyer should have suspended Carlos Hyde. I'm also not saying that if they'd have gone the other direction, if each school would have gone the other direction, had Winston been suspended, had Hyde not been, that things would have been different. Not at all. What I am saying is Why is it that Urban Meyer was constantly criticized over the early part of the season, especially during the Aaron Hernandez court case that is still going on as being one of the elements that helped Aaron Hernandez evolve, but yet it's Urban Meyer that took matters into his own hands with Carlos Hyde and suspended him? But on the other hand, Florida State not suspending Jameis Winston – And nothing is brought up about that situation. I just find that very, very ironic that that would happen with these two schools that could conceivably meet up for the national championship on January 7th. And that brings us to the BCS rankings. Because the BCS rankings after last week's interesting games, well, I'll tell you what. When you look at that Ohio State Michigan game, I've got to give Brady Hoke a lot of credit. Uh I think he did the right thing by going for two at the end of that game. After Gardner threw the touchdown pass with a half a minute to go to pull Michigan within one at 42-41, immediately Hoke signaled for two. And I think it was the right play. What's the difference? I heard this earlier in the weekend. What's the difference between Michigan going to the Outback Bowl or the Poinsettia Bowl? What difference does it make? They're going to go to a bowl game. It's going to be a lower-level bowl game, whether they make it or miss it. And this game for Michigan was their season. Their season was so torn apart this year, a win over Ohio State would have given them instant credibility. It would have validated their season, and they would have gone out their seniors on a great note, unfortunately for Wolverine fans, and fortunately for Ohio State fans, Ohio State knew what was coming and managed to intercept the pass, and they win this game 42-41. to That catapulted Ohio State into number two in the BCS rankings. Why? Because they were able to take control of their destiny and take care of business by beating their arch-rival, on their arch-rival's home field. Something that a lot of people still say Alabama is the best team in the country, but Alabama could not take care of business. They could not beat their arch-rival on their arch-rival's home field. So Alabama's reign of three out of four national championships in four years is probably over unless... a. A myriad of things happens with this BCS system over the weekend. The last one, thank heavens, that we're going to have to go under. But Auburn and that miraculous run back of a missed field goal attempt, 109 yards by Davis. They upset Alabama. And now all you hear is how Auburn is more deserving of a national championship title bout with Florida State more than Ohio State. Well, I'm here to say I think everybody's got it wrong. I don't think it should be Auburn replacing Ohio State. If you want to put Auburn in the national championship game, just simply because they're a part of the ACC, then you've got to look at Auburn and not only compare them to Ohio State, but let's compare them to Florida State. In my hands, right here, I have got the schedules for all three schools. Florida State, Auburn, and Ohio State. Before we get into this, let's look at the records. Florida State and Ohio State are each 12-0, and and they're 8-0 in their conferences. Florida State in the ACC, Ohio State in the Big Ten. All right. Now, against top 25 schools, Florida State was 3 and 0. Against top 25 schools, the Ohio State Buckeyes, 2 and 0. All right. There there you go. Right there. Now, against top 25 schools, the Auburn Tigers were 4 and 1. Those were the top 25 schools. But here is where you run into problems. Ohio State in their 12 games, they have Six wins over winning teams. In other words, teams that finished with winning records. You've got Buffalo, San Diego State, Wisconsin, Iowa, Penn State, and Michigan. I'm not even including Michigan State in this. Four, Auburn. They have got five wins over winning schools. LSU, Ole Miss, Texas A&M, Georgia. And Alabama. But remember that Georgia game, they won on a Hail Mary at the end and Georgia had to play the last half without their five-year senior quarterback, redshirt quarterback Aaron Murray, because of the injury that he sustained and couldn't play. So Georgia wasn't able to, to sustain any offensive continuity throughout the second half of that ball game against Auburn. But here's Florida State Four wins over winning schools. Who are those four? Boston College, Maryland, Clemson, and Miami of Florida. Now, Pittsburgh and Syracuse each finished 6-6. Six and six. But let's look at the non-conference schedule for each school. This is another interesting case. For Auburn, Washington State, decent school. Auburn beat them by a touchdown in the opening weekend. Then they played Arkansas State. Who cares? Then they played Western Carolina. Again, who cares? And then Florida Atlantic. Again, who cares? That's Auburn's preseason schedule, non-conference schedule. For Ohio State, you already know it. Buffalo, they finished second in in their division in the MAC. San Diego State, they finished second in their division in the Mountain West Conference. Then came California. Now, California admittedly had a down year. They finished 1-11, and but when they made this schedule up five years ago, California, remember, was a very good football team. And Florida AM, yeah, they're a Division I AA school, or the FCS is which the NCAA calls them now. They were 3-9, and and Ohio State won that game 76 to nothing. Okay, I'll give you that. But that has absolutely no bearing, like, on schools, that Auburn played, like Arkansas State and Western Carolina. But here's Florida State, the team that everybody says passes the eye test and deserves to have a chance of winning the national championship. Here's their non-conference schedule. Pittsburgh, well, that, that is a conference game. I'm sorry, that is a conference game. But Nevada, whoopee. They beat them 62-7, and Nevada finished 4-8. and Bethune-Cookman? They're the same up there with Western Carolina. Then look forward. They played Idaho. Who cares about Idaho? There are three things that came out of Idaho that are good. One is a potato, two is Dennis Erickson, and three is Boise State. So what I'm saying is is that this Florida State schedule that they're playing... And let's face it, folks, the ACC is a great basketball conference, but in football, it stinks. Just looking at it, when you look at who they're going to be playing in their conference championship game, Duke? This is the first time Duke has ever made it to the championship game and the first time in the history of their school they've ever won 10 games in a football season. Duke's a great basketball school, but as far as football is concerned, they're not missing anything. So why is there such a great... Outrage that Ohio State is making this championship game with an unbeaten team, but yet everybody is giving Florida State a pass as far as what they're doing and making the championship game. That's what's going on in this BCS, and thank heavens, next year, this thing will be over. But then again, there'll be four teams. If those four teams... Finish today. Let's just take a look at the BCS rankings and take the top four. You got Florida State, Ohio State, Auburn, Alabama. I'm going to say Alabama's probably going to make it into that top four if they were doing the playoff this year because Auburn's playing Missouri in the SEC championship game. Missouri's number five. If Missouri would actually beat Auburn, then they'd probably move up to number three, and Alabama would stay number four. But let's just say right now that those four schools—Florida State, Ohio State, Auburn, and Alabama—would play if this was next year. You'd have Florida State playing Alabama in the first game, Ohio State playing Auburn in the second game. Both those games would be very interesting contests. Alabama with the maturity and the experience of being in a national championship setting, with Florida State having the freshman quarterback and Jameis Winston getting into it for the very first time. Ohio State with the experience of Urban Meyer and being able to plan for two or three weeks against a team like Auburn who has just won games by luck late in the season, that would be a very interesting tournament. But then again, you'd have the argument, should number five get into the tournament over number four? Same as you do in the, in the March Madness with the college basketball tournament. That happens there also. That's what's going to happen, folks. You're still going to get an argument. There's always going to be a debate. And that's the sad thing about it. There's never going to be an an arguable setup that you can put forward to win a national championship. And that's what we're getting into this weekend. Now, Ohio State is going to be playing Michigan State in the Nash, the Big 10 Championship game. That is going to be on Fox in Indianapolis, and the Rose Bowl is on the line for both schools, but the Buckeyes are looking at higher aspirations about going to the Rose Bowl. Ohio State needs to win and get help to earn a spot in that national championship game. Michigan State hasn't played in the Rose Bowl since 1988, so the Spartans would love to reach Pasadena while ending Ohio State's dream of an undefeated season and a shot at the national title. The Buckeyes need a win to keep their title hopes alive, and it would help if it was an impressive victory, because who knows what these voters are going to do if Auburn does manage to beat Missouri, But even with the loss, the Buckeyes are well positioned to receive an at-large BCS bid, probably in the Rose Bowl against the Pac-12 winner. Now the Spartans are 11-1, and 8-0 in the Big Ten, and they need a victory to guarantee a desperately coveted spot in the Rose Bowl where they haven't played since 1988. But if they lose and Ohio State plays for the national title, the Spartans would probably go to the Rose Bowl anyway. Dennis Dodd of CBS Sports. Their college football analyzer says something surprising may take place in this game. Just listen.
2: I think the difference is Michigan State's offense. has been better the last four weeks. Jeremy Langford, the tailback, is now developed into that guy that Michigan State always seems to have, that pounding guy that loosens up the defense where they make just enough big plays. And, and look, I, I think it was glossed over maybe last week at the end of that uh, Ohio State-Michigan game Ohio State gave, you know, gave up a lot of yards to, uh, to Michigan, 603 yards to Michigan. Three out of the last four games, Michigan hadn't reached 275 yards in an entire game. So they're a little bit beaten up. You know, we knew before the season that Ohio State's defense was not the strongest part of their team. I think the the, the line between their offense and defense has outgrown now. Ohio State's offense is playing better than it ever has But Carlos Hyde. Braxton Miller at a high level. Jack Newhart is a uh, All-American in the offensive line. But going again, I think it's negated somewhat by that Michigan State defense, which is best in the country. When you're talking about Zaquez Denard, a cornerback, perhaps being the best defensive player in the country as a corner, that says something. And their, their seven is almost impenetrable. It'll be really interesting to see how Carlos I deals with that. And so I, I think that the difference is that the Michigan State defense gives them a short field. With, with flipping the field and smothering them and maybe a turnover or two. And that's enough. I think the magic number here is about 21-24. And so you ask yourself, can Michigan State get there? I think with the way they've been playing offensively, I think they can. But I think definitely they can hold Ohio State under that number.
0: I'm not sure if they can hold Ohio State under 24 points. I don't think I agree with Dodd on that. But I will say this, that Michigan State is the best defense that Ohio State will face this year. They've got the best cover corners in the Big Ten. They've got the best safeties. But where this game is going to be won, as every football game is indeed won, is in the trenches. And Ohio State's senior-laden offensive line is going to have to control this game. They're going to have to open the holes for Carlos Hyde, and then Braxton Miller is going to have to be able to do that zone-read offense that Urban Meyer loves so well and be able to move the football against Michigan State. they can move the football, I think Ohio State will be able to win this game because Michigan State, I believe, is going to have a tough time scoring against the Buckeyes. Not simply because the Buckeyes have a good defense. Far from it. It's just the fact that Michigan State does not have much of an offensive attack. The Spartans have won eight in a row coming into this game since losing 17-14 at Notre Dame. To earn their second berth in the Big Ten title conference game in the last three years. Defensively, as I said, they're one of the best teams that the Buckeyes will face this season. And that's not coming from me. That's coming from Buckeye head coach Urban Meyer.
1: As good a defense as in America, great players, great scheme. Obviously, statistically, I think they're number one in America. I'm not quite sure yet. But just the film I've watched, I mean, it's as good as defense as I've seen. You know scheme without players is you know everybody runs uh um uh, what they believe to be the right scheme it's just the they the, the teaching of their players they do a very good job and they're very skilled players that are tough and do what their coaches they i mean it's it's really they're they're really good but it always always starts with players
0: Michigan state they're one and one versus the top twenty five this year their only loss came to Notre Dame, as I said earlier, by three points. That was when Notre Dame was ranked in the top 25, and they were coming off of that loss against Michigan. Now, Ohio State 2-0. and The Buckeyes looking for a national championship. Michigan State looking for a trip to the Rose Bowl. It's at 8 o'clock on Fox from Indianapolis's Lucas Oil Stadium. Let's see what happens on Saturday night. Now, here's what else is going on in conference championship games this weekend. Now, we've got one coming up on Friday night, and that's the Mid-American Conference Championship. That is Northern Illinois. They're 12-0. and They qualified for a BCS game last year. Remember that? And they're playing Bowling Green, 9-3. and That game is going to be tomorrow night on ESPN2 from Ford Field in Detroit. It's an automatic bid to a BCS Bowl for the second consecutive season that's on the line Going to the Fiesta Bowl for Northern Illinois. You know, if I was voting right now for the Heisman Trophy, I would have to say Jordan Lynch of Northern Illinois should get a lot of votes. Matter of fact, he would get my vote to win the Heisman Trophy. He comes from the Mid American Conference. I understand that. And a lot of people put down the Mid American Conference. However, keep in mind Eric Fisher. Remember that name? Fisher was from Central Michigan a year ago, and he was the number one draft choice at tackle of the Kansas City Chiefs, and he has helped stabilize that offensive line for the Chiefs this year. So the Mid-American Conference is getting a little more respectability, and nothing would go further to gaining it national recognition than Jordan Lynch winning that Heisman Trophy. This game is going to serve as his last opportunity to, profess, to uh, impress the Heisman Trophy voters. Meanwhile, Bowling Green hasn't won the MAC since 1992, and they're going to be looking for their first double-digit winning season since going 11-3 and in 2003. Now on Saturday, here's a look at what's going on in the, the conference championship games as the season rounds down. Florida State... Already talked about them. Twelve and zero, number one in the BCS standings. It's going to be taking on Duke, ten and two. That game is going to be on ABC at eight o'clock in Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium. The Seminoles know everything is on the line in this ACC title game. Win, and they're going to play for the BCS national championship. Lose, and they'll probably go to the Sugar Bowl as an at-large team. Duke looks to put the finishing touches on an incredible season by pulling the upset and earning an automatic bid to the Orange Bowl as the ACC champs. Petros Papadakis says that their head coach, David Cutliffe, who has led their team to the first 10-win season ever, has to be the coach of the year.
3: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that Coach Cut that's yeah. what they call him, is the coach of the year in college football. And we've seen a resurgence in a lot of these academic institutions that play big-time college football in the last few years. I mean, Stanford's become a juggernaut in the Pac-12. Vanderbilt has had a lot of success under James Franklin. Pat Fitzgerald had a down year at Northwestern this year, but he's had a lot of success. And now Cutcliffe at Duke, turn it into Cameron Outdoor. People are excited a little bit about Duke football, but... The buck stops here.
0: I agree with Petros. There is absolutely no way that Florida State is going to lose this game to Duke. I mean, this might be the biggest mismatch in a conference championship game, quite possibly of all time. If Duke wins this, this could conceivably be as big an upset as Villanova beating Georgetown in the NCAA college basketball championship game a few years ago. Because the last time Duke played in an Orange Bowl... 1958, the last time Duke was outright ACC champions, 1954. That's for the ACC championship. Now, in the SEC, it will be Auburn, 11-1, and the cardiac kids of college football this year, taking on Missouri, 11-1. and Gary Pinkle, the head coach of Missouri, a former coach at the University of Toledo, that game will be on CBS at the Georgia Dome, In Atlanta and for the first time in a few years, the winner of the SEC championship game is not guaranteed a spot in the BCS national championship game. But with this game being at 4 p.m. and the ACC and Big Ten title games at night, the winner of this game could be in line for a spot in the BCS championship if Florida State and or Ohio State lose. Auburn is averaging over 300 yards rushing per game. And Petros Papadakis, again, of Fox Sports, goes over the two teams, who he expects to win, and if Auburn can continue their rushing attack against the Tigers.
3: Yeah, I think they can. Auburn is a bit of a team of destiny, and they do feel invincible right now. Now, I'm 36 years old. If I walk around feeling invincible, it doesn't really matter much. But if you're 18, 19 years old and super athletic, and you have a brilliant leader like Gus Malzahn, invincibility does become you. Now, are they going to be on emotional fumes? They weren't against Alabama. They weren't after that huge victory miracle on the Plains number one against Georgia. Will they be against Missouri? It's possible. I like Missouri in this football game. You can't say enough about what Auburn has created under Gus Malzahn, two of the greatest finishes in the history of college football. One, probably for certain, the greatest in the history of college football. But how many times? Are you going to be able to summon something like that up? I'm just not sure. And Missouri's a pretty complete football team.
0: The winner of this game will earn the automatic bid to the Sugar Bowl, where it will likely meet the University of Central Florida. That is if Florida State and Ohio State win out. In the Pac-12, well, Stanford 10-2 will take on Arizona State, also 10-2. That game is going to be... And this is very interesting. The Pac-12 always allows one of the teams to host this championship game. It'll be at 745 on Saturday night on ESPN at Sun Devil Stadium in Tempe, Arizona. Since neither team will be playing for the national title, the Rose Bowl is the only thing on the line for this game. Stanford played in the Rose Bowl last year, while Arizona State hasn't played in the Rose Bowl since losing to Ohio State in 1997. CBS Sports' Jeremy Fowler dissects Arizona State's chances in this game and why he thinks they can win it.
4: They've rallied. The run defense has gotten better. They weren't ready for for Stanford's stout front. Uh, Now they should be more equipped. They're not dominant run defense, but they can do just enough and mix it up, uh, and and they'll get aggressive and and blitz Kevin Hogan on occasion when he does drop back. And this is a team that has a chance to win an outright Pac-12 title for the first time since the mid-'90s. We're talking about Arizona State, a, a team that, that's always kind of uh, been middling around the seven-win range, uh, and Todd Graham has completely turned it around at home. Not having Marion Grice, it looks like he's going to be out. That certainly hurts them, but they have enough and get, can, can get creative enough with the read option with Taylor Kelly and D.J. Foster and, and a couple weapons on the edge to do, to do just enough. It's a pretty multifaceted offense where they can manufacture points, especially at home. Uh, Stanford is still a team where if you need tough third downs throwing the ball, they can't always get it. I like Kevin Hogan on occasion, but that USC game got a little ugly on that team at times. Um, you, you just wonder if there's something holding Stanford back. I don't know what it is. They're a great team. David Shaw is a great coach, but uh, they seem to be stuck on that you know that ten and two range. I, I just don't know if they have enough firepower here.
0: Well, there's a couple more. Conference championship games going on in Conference USC. Marshall, 9-3, and 3, will be playing Rice at 9-3. and 3. That's going to be Saturday morning. A kickoff is at 11 a.m. on ESPN2 at Rice Stadium in Houston. Now, usually the winner of Conference USA is headed to the Liberty Bowl, but there's no guarantee of that happening this season. The Liberty Bowl could take an AAC team versus the SEC, but if Marshall wins this game, it will most likely take the Thundering Herd. Neither team has ever won the Conference USA title. And the last conference game on Saturday will be from the Mountain West, where Fresno State 10-1 and 1 takes on Utah State at 8-4. and 4. That's going to be at 10 o'clock on CBS at Bulldog Stadium in Fresno, California. Now, I believe that's on the CBS Sports Network, not CBS, the National Network. Fresno State's chance at a BCS Bowl are gone after losing to San Jose State on Friday, but the Bulldogs can still claim the Mountain West title by beating Utah State and likely earn a trip to the Las Vegas Bowl. Utah State clinched its bid to the Mountain West Conference Championship game by beating Wyoming 35-7 to last week. Hey, I want to move into some high school football here just for the next few moments because this is the final weekend of the Ohio High School football season, and in seven divisions here in the state of Ohio, one division is playing right now at Maslin's Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. That is Division 3, where Akron, St. Vincent, St. Mary, 14-0 on the year, is taking on Trotwood, Madison at 11-2. and That game kicked off about a half an hour ago. Now, there are three more games tomorrow, three more games on Saturday. The games on Friday, in Division Four, Kirtland, fourteen and zero, will be playing Haviland Wayne Trace at thirteen and one. That's a kickoff of eleven o'clock at Canton's Fawcett Stadium. In Division Four, Youngstown Cardinal Mooney, that is ten and four, Clarksville Clinton Massey, thirteen and one, will face off against each other. That's at three p.m. at Maslin's Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. And in Division Two, it's Cleveland Glenville. Thirteen and one against Loveland, fourteen and zero. That's at seven p.m. at Fawcett Stadium. And on Saturday, here's the three games scheduled. In Division Five, Columbus Bishop Hartley, thirteen and one, plays Coldwater, a perennial state championship club. They're twelve and two. That's at eleven a.m. at Maslin's Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. In Division One, Mender, thirteen and one, plays Cincinnati Archbishop Moeller, thirteen and one. That's at three p.m. at Fawcett Stadium. And the final. State championship game here in the state of Ohio from Division Seven, Gloucester Trimble 14 and 0 plays marriott Stein Marion Local 14 and 0 at 7 p.m. That's at Paul Brown Tiger Stadium. Matter of fact, that is the only state championship game in Division Seven between two teams that are unbeaten, Gloucester Trimble and Marion Local, each at 14 and 0. Let's move down south while. Brett Favre isn't sure what he's going to be doing next year, but he does know what he's going to be doing tomorrow night. He's going to be trying to win a Mississippi high school state championship in football. The three-time NFL Most Valuable Player is the offensive coordinator for Oak Grove High School near his home in Hattiesburg, Oak Grove, Mississippi. Now, Oak Grove will try to capture its first state championship when it faces Tupelo in Jackson. The 44-year-old Favre grew up about an hour away in Kiln, Mississippi and played his college football just eight miles down the road at Southern Mississippi. And Favre says he just enjoys coaching high school football. He's content, but he does get the itch every once in a while to play NFL football. And the final thing from high school tonight for the second time in two months Deion Sanders has been fired from the Dallas Prep School that he co-founded in 2012. The news was first reported by a Dallas TV station, WFAA, and according to the Dallas Morning News, no reason was immediately available for the decision. But there does seem to be some discontent inside the school because upon a hearing of this decision, students of Sanders Prime Prep Academy walked out in protest. Superintendent Rachel Sanders, who is not related to the Hall of Fame cornerback, made the decision without evidently consulting Prime Preps Board Chairman T. Christopher Lewis about her decision. Lewis said he did not approve the dismissal, nor would he have made that decision. Sanders, who coaches the school's football team, was fired in October after a co-worker accused him of assault. He was rehired just hours later. I always like this segment, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, for this week. And this good segment this week has got some sad undertones to it. The Newtown Connecticut high school football team, which had dedicated its season to the victims of last year's Sandy Hook school shooting and finished the regular season unbeaten, lost in their state playoff game Tuesday night, bringing their season to an end. The Nighthawks rallied from a 22-point second-half deficit and climbed to within two points of the game's final seconds, but failed to convert on a two-point conversion and lost to visiting Ridgefield 35-33 in a Class LL quarterfinal. Newtown entered the game 12-0, and and they were the number one seed in the playoffs, having run the table and earned a bit of national following as the team honored the victims of the December 14, 2012 massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary School in Newtown, in which 21st graders and six adults were killed. Combining tributes to the victims, such as a special 26th helmet decal and stellar play, Newtown High had managed to bring joy and laughter to its town as the first anniversary of the shootings approached. Congratulations to those kids. It's just a special feeling when they went as far as they did. Congratulations to them. The bad this week, Pittsburgh Steelers coach Mike Tomlin was fined $100,000 by the NFL for his sideline interference last week where he nearly collided with Ravens kickoff returner Jacoby Jones. The NFL announced that the Steelers may also be affected in terms of the draft this spring through either a modification or forfeiture of draft picks. The Steelers weren't fined, and Tomlin remains a member of the NFL's competition committee. ESPN Steelers reporter Scott Brown discusses the fine Yesterday, against Pittsburgh coach Mike Tomlin, for the sideline incident.
5: I understand Mike Tomlin's stance. Uh, he was he was unusually frank, and, and answered any and all questions yesterday at his weekly news conference. So there's really not much else he can say. You know, again, he, he really denies there was any intent. But uh, but no, the story's not going away. Primarily because uh, the punishment may not be over, and uh, the consequence could be pretty severe for the Steelers. Uh, this is a team that builds through the draft. This is a team that is already without his third round draft pick, uh, next year, uh, having traded it last year for an extra fourth round pick. And, um, so if the Steelers are docked, uh, one or multiple draft picks, uh, it could really be a setback for the organization. If you believe Mike Tomlin, he said yesterday that he hadn't even had any discussions with the Roonies about this. And he was very frank in saying that, uh, if they believed there wasn't then he wouldn't have been sitting in that podium because they would have been without of a job. So uh yeah I, I I can't um I'd be very surprised if this has any effect on his job status and I think uh you know like Tomlin's doing the Steelers are going to sort of take their punishment and move on and learn from this What
0: makes this so bad is that Tomlin violated rule 13 section 1 article 4 of the NFL rule book for being in the restricted white border that surrounds the playing field and setting foot on the field during a play. Now, there's no doubt that Tomlin did it. And what gets me is that there is no doubt the official didn't see him do it. Tomlin, when he stepped out of the way of Jones and he was running it up the sideline in front of the Steelers' bench, almost tripped the official who was running around behind him on the white line. Now, we saw it just a week ago. The New York Jets playing New England. And the New York Jets getting a penalty against them because the referee collided with a coach in that white sideline area. So it is a play that the officials know they have to call. But in this case, they did not, and it almost cost Baltimore a game. Now, frankly, I could care less if it cost the Ravens a game. I could care less if it cost Pittsburgh a game. But the fact is, here we go again. The NFL trying to use this draft pick conspiracy to take away from the fact that they're officials and the way they handle the officials is wrong and it stinks. The officials in the NFL, I've said this for years, the games may not be fixed, folks, but the officials give an air of impropriety to every single NFL game. And this is just another Reason why. Ed Werder of ESPN reacts to this simple fine that was given out to Mike Tomlin. And why not, really? I mean, before we even get to Ed Werder, why not a suspension? Why not a one game suspension? Why not a two game suspension? Why is there thought of taking away a draft pick from the Steelers? Who cares about that? If you really want to slap down on something, First of all, the official should throw the flag. Secondly, suspend Tomlin for a game. Let's hear what Ed Werder has to say about this.
6: Well, there's a couple things here. First of all, they consider it an egregious act in that it actually interfered with a play in the game. And the person that perpetrated this egregious act is Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's a member of the NFL's competition committee, one of only three head coaches in the league on that prestigious committee. And that is all about... Uh, creating new rules and so forth uh, for games. And so uh, obviously Roger Goodell throughout the course of his tenure as commissioner has held people in higher positions of authority, more accountable, and that's why you see this aggressive fine taking place. And beyond that, Tomlin does keep his position on the competition committee, so he wasn't forced to resign that seat. And they've allowed for the possibility that the Steelers could be uh, forfeiting a draft pick or a draft pick could be modified. I think that that is not a certainty. It seems like it's more for if there's any unforeseen ramification from this particular play.
0: Ah, yes. The great and almighty Roger Goodell, the man who puts ethics and morals above everything else except the almighty dollar. And if you really want to put some teeth into this rule, what they should have done was they should have said, okay, Mike Tomlin, this is why this is the bad tonight. This is why it's the bad. They should have given the touchdown to Baltimore. Tomlin was the reason that Jacoby Jones did not run back for the touchdown. Now, that game was a three-point spread. Could you imagine the turmoil in Las Vegas if they would have granted Baltimore a touchdown after the game was over? The game ended 22-20. to Baltimore won. Pittsburgh covered the spread. But if they would have granted Baltimore that touchdown, it would have been 29-20. to And money would have changed hands either way. That's what I mean. Roger Goodell, the great and almighty, until it comes to the dollar. Now, NFL Vice President of Officiating, Dean Blandino, had previously weighed in on the situation, of course, saying the officiating crew should have flagged Tomlin for unsportsmanlike conduct. Oh, really? Yeah, let me tell you what that's worth right now. Yeah, the piece of paper has just been... Crumbled up and thrown away. Just like the official's flag was stuffed in his back pocket and didn't leave during that play. Mike Tomlin and the NFL, especially Roger Goodell, the bad tonight on the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the ugly? Well, Twitter. You know, we put up with athletes that tweet all the time. But when teams start tweeting, okay, now there's it's gone too far. Do you realize right now in the NBA there are only two Eastern teams with winning records? One team in the competitive West is wondering about a transfer. Here's what the Portland Trailblazers tweeted on Wednesday. Is it too late to join the Eastern Conference? The surprising Blazers lead the West with a 15-3 and record, but the Phoenix Suns, who are 9-9, nine and nine, are in 12th place in the Western Conference with a record that would be good for a tie for third in the East. Are the Trailblazers this good? Well, NBA reporter Amin Alhansen projects the Blazers to be a borderline playoff team in the crowded Western Conference.
7: When you look at the team they had last year, if you watch the Blazers last year, yeah. um they struggled with depth. So their starting five was pretty solid, but as soon as they turned to the second unit, there was absolutely zero depth. They either had to run their starters ragged, as you know, we heard uh, Damian Lillard talked about on True Hoop TV uh, about a couple of months ago. I, I think Mo Williams and Robin Lopez have been invaluable additions to this team. And the best part is, you know, probably one of their best bench players hasn't even played a game, CJ McCollum.
0: The two teams with winning records in the Eastern Conference, I think you can guess them, the Miami Heat and the Indiana Pacers. And a team that has been struggling lately in the Eastern Conference, well, that's been the Cleveland Cavaliers. They've won two straight games though for the first time this season to improve their record to 6 and 12 and 5 and 3 at home. The Cavs did that with a big 98 to 88 victory over the Denver Nuggets on Wednesday night. Anderson, Varejão, Tristan Thompson, and also Andrew Bynum combined for 49 points and 41 rebounds. And after the ball game, Mike Brown spoke about just how his Big men played during the ball game.
7: Yeah, I thought uh, our, our bigs were, were really good. You know, um, Andrew was great getting deep post position, and you know as the game went along, he became more effective scoring the basketball. But he got great deep post possession position. Excuse me, the whole game. <clears throat> we did a great job of trying to get him the basketball. Uh, I thought Anderson, I mean, 13 and 18, phenomenal. One of the things we. I've been talking to Andy about is you know Andy you can score especially when you're around the hoop you got all those trick shots and hook shots and stuff like that and I thought early in the season he was uh, trying to make too many home run passes around the basket finding his teammates but uh, tonight you know he made some great plays offensively around the basket and uh, and then the 13 rebounds so it was spectacular and then you couple that with Tristan's effort of 21 rebounds and 17 points. I meant to get so 34 rebounds between two guys is an absolutely amazing night uh, for bigs. They were they were monsters tonight. They were monsters in the pick and roll. They were monsters on the glass. They were monsters around the rim. Uh, that type of effort was 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 awesome. It was awesome to watch.
0: Well, even number one pick Anthony Bennett hit a three-pointer in the ballgame. So that shows you how well the Cavaliers played. Let me give you another two NBA items that are going on. The San Antonio-Minnesota game was canceled last night due to a fire in the Mexico City arena. The NBA had publicized this game being in Mexico City for weeks. Well, they had to cancel it because of an electrical fire that was going on in the arena. It will be played later on this season in Minnesota on an off day. And, It appears Kobe Bryant, even though he is practicing with the Lakers, will not return tomorrow night for the team when they play. It still looks like the prospective date that Kobe will come back for the Lakers will be Christmas Day on the annual Lakers game. Looks like that's when Kobe will return. I think tonight the theme sounds more ferocious than the ball game. Got insomnia? Well, I've got the cure for it. Houston is playing at Jacksonville this evening. A couple of teams that are going in the same direction, down. That's the NFL game for tonight on the NFL Network in about a half an hour from now. So if you need to fall asleep quickly, just tune in to that ball game. Let's go over the games that are going to be happening on Sunday, and let's start out with the Cleveland Browns, where they're going to be in New England taking on the Patriots and former coach Bill Belichick. Boy, this is going to be a rough game. It's been a rough season for the Browns. And their head coach, Rob Chudzinski, talks about New England and the trouble that they are going to pose for the Browns on Sunday.
4: Great challenge for us
1: uh, this weekend. They're a great team. Obviously, I have the utmost respect for Coach Belichick and his staff. They're nine and three, first place in the AFC East. Uh, we have a group of guys that are competitors, and I know that they're looking forward to the challenge this week, and we'll be ready for that challenge. It all starts with Tom Brady, one of the best in the game, it's one of the best that's ever played. Um, it's amazing how he has new faces. around him and is still able to produce the way he has throughout the course of his career uh, making plays in critical situations and finding ways to win
0: and we're going to try to sneak through the rest of the schedule and some baseball news before the end of the show two big games in the nfl this weekend seattle is going to be playing at san francisco and what a contest that's going to be that's a late game could be one of the biggest games of the season brian billick looks at this ball game and gives his opinion of what has to happen in order for either team to win.
8: Like we said all week long or all year long, we're at the point now where you're going to measure how good a team really is going to be in the playoffs, those that are playoff, uh, heading for the playoffs, how do they play on the road. And this is going to be the challenge for the Seattle Seahawks. San Francisco seems to be getting its stride. Getting Michael Crabtree back has been obviously huge for Colin Kaepernick because now it's not just Vernon Davis. It's not just Anquan Bolton. It's amazing what that extra player does, and they obviously are focused on the run. Seattle now as a team, we thought, okay, they're going to get healthy. They're going to get that offensive line back. Well, all of a sudden, some of those injuries are beginning to loom, some of the things they've got going on with the secondary. So this is a huge game. Can Seattle take its patented game plan, which says we're going to run the ball, Russell Wilson's not going to make any mistakes, make just enough plays down the field, and they're going to beat you with a physical, we're going to maul you, much like they did the San Francisco 49ers in Seattle early in the year. Can indeed they take that on the road? Or are the 49ers going to be that team that, no, you're not coming into our house. We are a playoff caliber team. We are worthy of the number one seed. We want that number one seed because we know coming through San Francisco means we could be in another Super Bowl. This is going to be a huge, physical Donnybrook
0: in San Francisco. And the other huge physical, Donnie Brook, according to Billick, it's the Sunday night game. Carolina will be playing at New Orleans in the Superdome. This is the battle for first place in the NFC's Southern Division. Carolina at New Orleans. Here's a look at the rest of the NFL schedule on Sunday. Minnesota at Baltimore. Atlanta at Green Bay. Kansas City goes to Washington. Buffalo will be in Tampa Bay. Miami is at Pittsburgh. Detroit at Philadelphia. Indy goes to Cincinnati. Oakland will be in New York to face the Jets. Tennessee travels to Denver. It's the New York Giants taking on San Diego in California, and St. Louis will be at Arizona. The Monday night game, Dallas is at Chicago. Now, here's what's going on in Major League Baseball. Let's just go over some of the deals. We had a couple that happened today where the Kansas City Royals have acquired outfielder Nocherica Aoki from Milwaukee to be their leadoff hitter, which also means that the Brewers will probably be shifting Ryan Braun to right field. Milwaukee received left-hander Will Smith in return, who spent most of the past couple of seasons shuffling between Kansas City and AAA Omaha. Now, does this mean that Kansas City is out of the running for Carlos Beltran? No. Their general manager, Dayton Moore, said they are still working on adding an impact bat. And Beltran, who began his career with the Royals, spent time in Kansas City earlier this week. He's reportedly seeking a three-year, $48 million deal. Another deal that went down today, Brian Wilson's going to stay with the Los Angeles Dodgers. He's reportedly signed a one-year deal with the Dodgers for $10 million. Of course, Wilson, the man with the beard, gained his fame not only because of that beard, but also becoming a closer for the San Francisco Giants before he blew out his arm two years ago. It appears that the Cincinnati Reds will be keeping Brandon Phillips. Walt Jockety says he'll be staying on. And former Texas Rangers closer Joe Nathan has agreed to, with the Detroit Tigers on a two-year contract with a club option for 2016, enabling the Tigers to get that closer that they've needed for the past two years. And that's going to do it for our show tonight. Boy, am I glad you stopped by. We'll be back again next Thursday night at 7 o'clock to talk more sports with you. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for being our producer. Also, our thanks to you for listening. Join us again next Thursday night when we'll talk for another 60 minutes about sports and we'll be able to go over whether or not the Ohio State Buckeyes will be looking for a national championship in a month. Thanks for joining us tonight, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell. Talk to you again next Thursday night at 7 o'clock. Until then, have a good week. Have a good weekend. Talk to you later. Good night, everybody.